I want you, if you would, just pray with me, and we're going to get into the word that God has given me this morning. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness to us, God. We thank you, Lord. And we're telling you we're here to worship you, to bow down before our God and our maker. I thank you that you died on Calvary's cross for our sins and the sins of the world. Thank you that your blood has the power to wash us clean. And we thank you, God, that only you can forgive sins, but you do forgive sins, God, to those, for all those that call upon you, Lord Jesus. God, I thank you for blessing our week this week. I thank you for all these ladies and young people that helped. I thank you for all the children that were able to come and, and worked hard to learn the songs and memorize their verses, God. I pray your blessings upon them, Father. Most of all, I pray you be glorified in this service and in this day and in our lives, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Psalm 139. You know, just while you're turning there, the children learned scriptures and they quoted some of them. And this was, I guess, their main scripture for the week today. I mean, for the week. And we're going to open with that scripture. And we're going to preach from this today. Psalm 139. We're going to read verses 13 and 14. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. And one of the things we're going to talk about that is the theme of this Bible school, we're getting right to the heart of it, right at the beginning, is that we're made. We're, we're created by God. We are created beings that God made us fearfully and wonderfully, and that actually means, it's kind of a strange fearfully and wonderfully, what does that made mean? It means uh, to reverence, to set apart. That's actually what it means, that we're made in such a way that God set us apart. We're not like all the other parts of creation, and all the parts of creation are wonderful and beautiful, and God's handiwork and his fingerprints are all over everything that he's made, but he made man separately and differently than the rest of creation. And people need to know this. People need to know, we need to know that we're, we're fearful, fearfully and wonderfully made. That means to show forth marvelously. God set man apart and breathed his breath of life into man's nostrils and man became a living soul. You don't read that about the, the sun and the moon, the stars or the birds or the fish. We read it with God, when God created man. He breathed his breath into man's nostrils and man became a living soul, the Bible says. And so it's important to know that we're created by God and we're created for God and for his holy purposes that he has for us. Uh, the, the children quoted part of this scripture, but in the, if, you open your, if you were to open your Bible and start reading it like a book, you begin at page 1, and on page 1, at the Genesis chapter 1, it says uh, the Godhead is speaking, and, and the Lord says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And the end of the, the six days of creation, the Bible says that the Lord says, it says that God looked at everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. This is so contrary to evolution or a big bang or, you know, struggle of life and death and things evolving to a higher level. When God finished on the sixth day, it says the evening and the morning were the sixth day. That when he looked at it all, he says it was very good. 
It was the way it was supposed to be. It was the way God intended for it to be. Amen? And so when God says he wants He let us create man in our likeness, that means in our manner, like our fashion. And so you and I, we're not God. And if, when we're saved, we're not going to become God. We have a the privilege, if we're born again, to become a partaker of his divine nature, the Bible says. But still, men are created in the image of God in his likeness. That means we're not to think the Bible says that God is like a four-footed beast or, or a rock or the sun or the moon. When God created man in his likeness, we're not God. But you can see we have the ability to reason and to choose and to be moral beings and to love and to hate and to, and to be faithful and things like this. This would be in the fashion of the likeness of God, okay? That other parts of creation and, and things in creation do not have that ability. So we're created, and God in his wisdom took the time, the forethought, to create man and to create us in his own image. And that literally means his representative. So think about that. God created human beings to represent him, not only in his likeness and his manner, fearfully and wonderfully made, but to represent him, to be a representative of God. A turtle is not that. It's created by God. It's a wonderful thing. The mountains, the sky, the wind, the trees. But man is created in his image to, to represent him, to be a witness, to be a light for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he created you and me and everyone here and every human being for a purpose. And this, again, is part of the theme of the Vacation Bible School. And Maria got real close to taking my sermon, but she backed off just in time. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we're created for a purpose. And so we're not just, we're not just uh, the results of time and chance. We're not just the results of, as human beings, not just the results of random mutations over a long period of time. And... Uh, I, didn't, I don't intend to get into a whole message this morning about evolution, but I believe the biblical account of creation, that it's six literal days that God made us. And you say, well, that sounds impossible, and scientists don't believe that. You'd be surprised. I've, I've read some statistics that at least 45%, that's a pretty large number, of scientists do not believe in evolution. They keep their mouth shut because they want to get a job, okay? But most, uh, many do not believe it is not good science. Never do you see, in, in, in creation, do you see order come out of chaos. You don't see it. You see just the opposite. In a Big Bang, for example, which is an explosion, that a Big Bang eventually, even over a lot of time, would result in the, the intricacies of life and the detailed life that we see is not good science. You don't see that. If in an explosion you see chaos and you see death and you see destruction, you see things uh, scattered. They're not brought together and organized in orderly fashion like a human eyeball or something like this. And so I, I don't want to spend the whole time on that, but I do want to say that we're not. And our children need to know this, and you need to know it, and I need to know it. This world out here needs to know that we are not just the results of years and years of, of the survival of the fittest and, and the struggle for the strong to survive. And that's all we are. We need to know that we are carefully and wonderfully and marvelously made by a God who loves us, who cares, 
The Bible says the very hairs of our head are numbered. And by the way, the information that I'm going to be giving you today is from the Bible, all right? We're, we've tried to strive to stay in the Word of God and to preach the Word of God. The Word of God says this, and whatever else, whatever other opinion and voice is crying out, we're going to stay with the Word of God. I want to stay grounded in that. I want to stay believing it, even if I don't understand it all perfectly, even if there are scriptures that sometimes go over my head and thoughts of God that are too deep. I'll give you one to, to, to believe that God had no beginning. I, and I, I cannot grasp it with my mind. I've always said it. Once something starts, I can see how it goes forever. God will live forever. But I have a hard time grasping in my mind how God had no beginning. But that's what the Bible says. I am the, I'm the beginning and the end. I'm Alpha and Omega. Uh, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. I'm going to, going to choose to believe God's word and ask him to give me the understanding of the things I don't understand. But I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it by faith. Not, not childishly or stupidly, just naively. God's word is proven to us. The promises of God are yea and amen. The prophecies of God have been fulfilled. And all of nature and creation declares him. It says in Romans chapter 1, all of creation declares and testifies and gives evidence of a God that created it. Even his eternal Godhead, the Bible says. And so we, we believe and we're preaching the word of God that we are created by God and we're created by God for a purpose. There's a purpose for your life. So what happens, we start to wake up to that. You know, when we don't know the Lord, we start to wake up to that and understand we start to turn like a big battleship slowly turning around. It doesn't have to take a long time. We begin to turn our life to the Lord and to his word. And we say, what does he have to say? What does God have to say? What? And the first thing he wants to do is save us and bring us to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to show us himself as a holy, perfect God who loves us and gave his son that we might have eternal life and be forgiven and to show us our own sinful nature and that we need him. We need him to save us. And we turn to the Lord. I want to, re I want to just read this myself from Jeremiah, one of the prophets of God in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 1, then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, before I formed thee in the belly, that's creation, right? I formed thee, that's important, before I formed you. It's a relationship already. I'm your maker, okay? Before I formed you in the belly, okay, in the in mother's womb, I knew thee. Isn't that amazing? Before I formed you and created you, you weren't this adult, you weren't even out of your mother's belly before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you. And before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. That's purpose. So there is a the fact that God created us, and we're seeing a snapshot of it in this Jeremiah 1, 4, and 5, if you want to know where that came from. And he says, look, long before that, Jeremiah, before I made you and I, I sanctified you, that means set apart, right? Fearfully and wonderfully means set apart unto God. That's everyone. That's not just Jeremiah. Every single person here. Don't think you don't have a purpose. You know, you're just kind of going through life unnoticed. You're going through life uh, never seeming to hit your stride or to find your groove or to, if, to find your, your purpose. Well, we need to go to God for that. We need to go to God for that because I promise you he has a purpose for your life. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And for Jeremiah, he was ordained to be a prophet to the nations. That purpose, y'all, just in general, 
for all human beings. For everybody here, I can say this. What's God's purpose for your life? I don't know the details about, you know, doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, what you're going to be. But as far as what we're called to do and be, we're to glorify God. We're to know Jesus Christ. We're to be born of his spirit that all men would know him, that all men would walk with him, that all men would serve him and glorify him. Amen. All of our days. Not just a few days at vacation Bible school, not just on Sundays when we see other believers, but that our whole life, the purpose of your life is to glorify God. How do I know that? From the word of God. He tells us that. Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. What does he say in Revelation? Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive all glory, honor, and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We're created for the pleasure of God and the glory of God. I'll say this, that many people today, and and I'm not telling you anything you don't know, by the way. Many people today are hopeless. Have you seen that? There are people that are hopeless. They absolutely have no hope. They have no real hope for their future. They have no real hope for the, the future just in general. They have no hope for anything good in their own lives coming their way. They have no hope of anything great or glorious in their own lives. And they see many people see no real purpose for living. This is not all, but this is an epidemic, I would say. They have no real purpose for living. They have no real hope. And the Bible says before we came to Jesus in Ephesians, we were having no hope without God and having no hope in this world. Without God in this world and having no hope. That is the description of man. Even if they got lots of money and looks like everything is going great in their life, without Christ, we are without God in this world and we ha- without hope. So people are living today, many people are living with no hope. They don't think about the future. They don't want to think about the future. They're not excited about the future. They have been told. They have been educated. They have been taught from little children, I would say, through, through children's movies, through books, through uh, uh, documentary nature films, through elementary school, high school, college. Where they've been taught that, again, that they're just, they're, you're nothing special in the sense, oh, they try to build up your self-esteem in one sense, but you're nothing special. You're just uh, on this evolutionary chain somewhere, you know, and then there'll be something, some creature that evolves past you, right? Artificial intelligence or something like this that's going to surpass you. You're really nothing uh, special. There's, we live and we die People are taught this, you know, don't think, they take God out of the picture, and it's just, you're just this product of time and chance, it just happened to be a product of nature, what was created after billions of years, and if billions of years don't do it, they'll add a few more billion years to where they can get to where they want to get, and this is nothing special, okay, they've been taught this, there's nothing, we live and we die, and there's nothing after that, there's nothing after death, and Science has, quote, assured us of this. I want to give you a statistic real quickly. And I'm not at all trying to be morbid. I want to make this point about having no hope and then the hope we have in Jesus, okay? The suicide rate in the United States, the, the, the statistics I had were uh, from two, the year 2000 to 2018 in the U.S., the suicide rate increased 30%. That's a big chunk, almost a third, okay? The suicide rate increased in those 18 years. 
in 2020, and that's the last statistics I got from the CDC, uh, 46,000 people in the United States committed suicide. 46,000 in that one year. Uh, that's basically, I think, 130 a day and one every 11 minutes. So however long we've been here in church and you've been sitting in, the, in your seat there, one every 11 minutes, you figure it out. How many have killed themselves since we've been in church today? Just on an average, okay? Why do people do that? They're fearfully and wonderfully made. They're created in the image of God because they have no hope. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Didn't the children sing it a little while ago? Doesn't it say that in Isaiah chapter 40? Do you not know? Have you not heard that God made the heavens and the earth, that he created you in his image as a purpose and a plan for your life? People are taking their lives because they have no hope. We need to tell them. They're not going to hear it anywhere else, I can assure you. They're not going to hear that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. They're not going to hear that they're fearfully and wonderfully made. They're not going to hear that God actually made us to be his representatives in his image that he has a special plan, that the hairs of their heads are numbered, that the days of their lives are numbered by God, and that there's a purpose, a very ordained purpose of the Lord for their lives. What's happened is that we have left God out of the picture, haven't we? I'm not saying you have. I'm saying as a society and as a nation, we have left God out of the picture. We've left our maker. If you made something, and those that make things, furniture or or what d different things you do with your hands, and you build something, you make something, you make it for a purpose. You don't make it for no purpose. You know, somebody that, that, that built a cabinet is going to use a cabinet to store stuff in, right? It's for a purpose, and God made us for a purpose. But when we leave God out of the picture, then we're just floating. We have no direction in our lives, and God doesn't want us to be that way. God has made us for a purpose, amen? And so, certainly he has something to say, doesn't he? Certainly God has something to say about my life. That one that's about to take their life, that one that thinks there's absolutely no reason to keep living. I see no hope. We live, we die, we go into a grave. No big deal. We, no, there's nothing but purpose to life. Shouldn't we see what God has to say about it? What does God say about our future what does God say about our present? What does God say about life after death and what happens to us after we die? He says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil. We look around us. One of the songs talked about something about how crazy the world is. It is crazy. It's crazy. It's spinning out of control. But yet God's over it all. He's still, it's, his, his plan is being fulfilled. He's still saving souls today. He's still saving people today, amen? And so the thoughts that he has for us are thoughts of peace, good and peace and not evil. Matthew 11, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people, and he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't people need that? Their minds are afraid. They're at their, their nerves are at the, are afraid. They have, they're depressed. 
or they're scared or they're enraged or they're mad or they're frustrated or they're lonely and, and we're at the end of our rope, so to speak. The Lord says, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. All those things, by the way, are a result of sin. We have a sin nature and we sin. Some more than others, some less, but we're all sinners. Come short of the glory of God. Some end up in prison, some don't. We all need a Savior. All come, uh, come short of the glory of God. But he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. That means we're, we're loaded down with weights that are hard to carry. And I will give you rest. He's not just talking about you worked hard, you know, building a fence and you're tired. And so I'll give you rest. He's talking about the burdens that we carry. There is a weight of sin and it's heavy. And it's a, there's a weight of sin and the darkness and the guilt and the shame and the heaviness. The way of transgressors is hard, the Bible says. And there's a weight that can only be removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it can only be removed by an individual turning to Jesus and putting their trust in him and him alone. And he will lift that. He says, I'm going to give you that rest. Maybe, there, maybe we're struggling under a load of trying to be good. But we don't know the good one, the righteous one, Jesus. We're trying on our own to keep the Ten Commandments or something like this. You can't. You cannot. First of all, we've already broken them at some point in our lives. And we are by nature children of wrath, the Bible says. He quickens us, though, when we put our faith in him and gives us new life. And so he wants to lift that load. And we've listened to the lies of the enemy long enough. Saying as a society, we've listened to maybe some here today. You've listened to the lies of this world and of the enemies long enough. We need to hear what the Lord says. We need to hear what God says. And this only place, not just this church, but this is the only place you're going to hear it from the Lord, from his word. Amen. And so we go to his word and he begins to reveal his heart to us, his will for our lives, his plan of salvation and his savior which is his son, Jesus Christ. He loves us and he loves sinners. You know, the Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every man to his own way. Everyone has gone our own way. And there's as many different people as there are. That's how many different ways people go astray. There's no limit to that. But the Bible says that God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He took the sins of all these sheep that are scattered and gone astray, and he put them on one person, the man Christ Jesus. And he said, and the Father says, I'll accept that. The just dying for the unjust, the righteous dying for the unrighteous. He is the good shepherd, amen? He is the good shepherd. He cares for his sheep like no one cares for their sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep, and that's the difference. He contrasts himself in John 10, Jesus does, between a good shepherd and a hireling. A hireling to me is someone that's a job. It's a paycheck. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But a hireling for 10 bucks an hour who's watching those sheep is not going to lay down his life for one of those sheep. You know, fire me if you want to. Doc might pay a little bit if I lose a sheep. I'm not dying for one of those, okay? It's just a job. But Jesus is the good shepherd. And he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. A bunch of sheep. That's you, though, right? That's me. It's sheep. God so loved the world, amen, that he gave. And so it's an amazing thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God and God's plan and his plan of salvation is far more wonderful than evolution or a big bang or anything like this. The Bible says the just 
died for the unjust. The righteous died for the unrighteous. He rose again, by the way, the third day. The perfect and the holy one died for the sinner and the enemy of God. That's what we were. You think, well, I don't have anything against God. Well, the Bible says we're enemies of the Lord. Until we come to him, we're enemies of the Lord. Amen? And God doesn't desire for us to be that way. And so if someone was to ask, well, why did Jesus come? Some of these little children could probably tell us from vacation Bible school, why did Jesus come and live as a man and, and die on a cross and rise again the third day? He would say, and his word says, I came to seek and save the lost. He says in his word, I came to destroy the works of the devil. He says in his word, he came to take away the sins of the world. He came to reconcile men unto God. He came to justify the ungodly. In Isaiah, Old Testament prophecy, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. That's how he does it. How does he reconcile? How does a man come to know this God that created all things and created me is through the blood of the cross. We're reconciled to God through the blood of his son that he shed on Calvary. He died and was buried, and the third day he rose again in power. He's not going to die again, and those that put their trust in him are not going to die. His Bible says in John chapter 5, He that heareth my words and believeth on, on them and believeth on me shall not die, but shall pa has passed from death to life. These bodies may die. If we're not raptured, they will die, but we are not going to die. That spiritual man keeps living with the Lord forever. Amen. I want to read this from 1 Peter, and we'll be bringing this to a close in a moment. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. It's part of that purpose, right? Not only created by God, but saved by God for a purpose that we should. That talks about our purpose, what we're called to should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Hallelujah. It's like finally things are set right. doesn't mean you'll never have another problem if you give your life to Jesus. You'll stub your toe. You have, might have some financial difficulty. You'll get tired. You'll get sick sometimes. We have these things. You'll get your feelings hurt. You'll uh, get angry. These things happen. But it, we all of a sudden now we're in, we have a purpose in life. We're loved by God. We're forgiven by God. We're called by God to a holy purpose. And we're walking in that. And God has taken care of us. Amen. And everything. Why did he do all this? He did it because of his love. God who is rich in mercy and his great love wherewith he loved us, the Bible says. For while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and sent and came to die for us. Amen. It's the love of the Lord for sinful people. So I'm going to bring this to a close. But you and you, your children that are here and others that are not here, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're fearfully and wonderfully made by God, a God who loves you and who has a purpose for your life and a purpose for your eternity. I'll tell you this. He did not create you or me to live and die apart from himself. It's not part of his purpose for your life. He didn't create you to live and die apart from Jesus. He didn't create you to live and die in your sins. 
He didn't create you to be without hope in this world. He didn't create you to wander around aimlessly in this life, not knowing what the purpose of your life is. He didn't create you to take your own life because you had no hope. He didn't create you to live selfishly or to live in greed. He didn't create you to try to drown out your sorrows and pain in alcohol. He didn't create you to be addicted to drugs. He didn't create you to hate. He didn't create you to be jealous. He didn't create you to feel sorry for yourself. He didn't create you to be depressed. He didn't create you to one day die and go to a hell that's very real. He created you for his holy purpose, in his image, in his likeness. You are in the image of God, created, the Bible says. Now, the Lord knows all those things about alcohol or drug addiction or hopeless and despair. Who hasn't had things like that? Maybe not those exact things, things like that in our lives. The Lord is acquainted with our, our, our weaknesses and infirmities of our flesh. He's acquainted with those. But he can also rescue us from all of those. He can forgive all our sins and strengthen us against all those things and fill our lives with joy and fill our lives with peace and fill our lives with purpose. Amen? In closing, there's only, there's only one way, like the kids sang, right? Only one way. It'd be nice to just say, oh, I think there's many ways, but the Bible doesn't say there's many ways. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, I am that I am, right? What's the name of God? Unless you believe I am he, you will perish in your sins. Now, you might choose to not believe the word of God. But that's what God's word says. And I believe it. Amen. The Lord pr proved himself to be faithful and true. And this is the record that God has given unto us eternal life, John says in 1 John. And this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. I like it when it's simple. I'm a simple person, especially if something involves my eternity and my life. You tell me straight up. I want to know. Well, that's what he says. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Amen? And that's, that's what the, the assurance that God has given us through his word. And so no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've thought, no matter what you've been taught, no matter how you were raised. In this room, we've got people you were raised in different generations. You were raised in different people, different parts of the country probably. No matter what you've heard or believed up until this point, no matter what you've done, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock to you at your life. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. Any man, no matter what your back or well, you don't know what I've been through. It doesn't matter. Tell me about it some other time. We'll sit down. It's not that I don't care. Jesus knows all about my troubles. He cares. He understands. He made you. He's walked with you every step of the light your life and you didn't even know him. And he's saying, if any man... I'm standing at the door and knocking. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with them and he with me. People don't go to hell because they're committed horrible sins. 
In one sense, we do. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But really, we go to hell because in our sin, we didn't turn to the one who could save us. We rejected him. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, including those that are saved now. But the difference is people go to hell because they stay in their sin. <clears throat> they live in their sin and then they die in their sin. And at no point in there did they turn, genuinely turn to Jesus Christ and say, I confess my sins to you. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I believe you're the sinless, holy son of God and only you can save me. And I give my life to you right now. Come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. That's why people go to hell because they refuse him. They refuse the Lord. Jesus actually said this in John. He says, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. He goes, but ye will not come unto me that you might, be, that you might have life. And that's something you will not. That's a will of man. Not everybody, but he's saying in general, you won't come to me. That's why you're lost. That's why you're going to stay lost. You will not come to me that you might be saved. I'll close with this. And D, if you'll come. In Romans 10, 13, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm glad I don't have to add to that and say, well, really, really what God meant was this. And let me say it a different way. Or it doesn't really mean whosoever will. No, it means whosoever will. Whosoever will call upon, well, you don't know what I've done. I was talking to Keith Malcolmson. Some of y'all know Keith. And uh, I talked to him yesterday and for about an hour. We prayed together. It was wonderful. And he was telling me there was a, I just want to share this quickly. There's a, he pastors, for those that don't know, he's a friend of ours who's Irish. He pastors a church in Limerick City, Ireland, in Northern Ireland. And we pray for his wife all the time because she is, uh, has horrible cancer in, her, in her, her body. But we were talking and praying together yesterday, and he said there was a, I said, well, what's happening in your church? And he was talking, there's a, there's a lady in his church who's been praying for her nephew uh, into all kinds of criminal, a criminal life and lifestyle. He was in the paper all the time. He ended up in prison. And she's been praying for her nephew to be saved and come to the Lord. And the more Keith was said he was praying for him, but the more he heard about him, he was like, this guy needs to be locked up. I mean, he's bad. He was vile. He said he was horrible. And so he says, I'm, I was praying, but he goes, I don't know how earnestly I was really praying for him to be saved. He was just being honest with me. And he said, one day a man walked in his church not long ago that, that he didn't recognize, and he didn't think much about it. The man was amen and hallelujah and everything he would say. Came to find out this was that man. And he was out of prison. He came into his church. and had been praying. But he didn't want to get his hopes up. He thought maybe it's just a phase. You know, some people get excited about God and then go back in, into their former life. But he says it, it's, it's been about seven months now. Mm -hmm. And the man received the baptism of the Holy Spirit just by himself, worshiping the Lord in church one day. God baptized him in the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's, he's at the altar. He's crying out in intercessory prayer. And... Uh, it's just amazing what the Lord can do. Mm -hmm. This is somebody that Keith, I don't know him, but Keith looked at and said, this guy needs to be in prison. Mm -hmm. But Jesus says, whosoever will. Mm -hmm. He's born again. Such were some of you, it says in 1 Corinthians. But now you're washed. Now you're sanctified. Now you're justified. 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by his spirit. Amen? And he wants to do that today. Y'all stand with me, and these are going to play, but I'm just going to close with this, this thought. Some of these young people, these children, you say, well, they're too young to understand, and maybe some are. God knows that. But we want them to know, I know that you want them to know the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and know it from a young age. When that light bulb does come on, and they understand at that age, that at that moment, they'll just fall upon their knees and give their lives to Jesus. There might be some here today, some of you, and please don't be embarrassed, but you're here today. Maybe you've been a member of this, coming to this church for quite some time, and you're not born again, and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. I want to pray with you. I'm going to pray, and Dee's going to play, and I'm going to come stand up here. And, and for those of us that I know you and I know your walk with the Lord and your Christians, please come to these altars. Just seek the Lord. Thank God that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank the Lord. We don't have our kneeling benches, but we can just come stand up here or kneel up here for a little while. I'm going to stand here to pray with anybody that wants to give their life to Jesus. But I pray we'd all be crying out to the Lord, thanking God for his goodness to us. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, God, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are created in your own image, God, that you separated us from the rest of creation. We're the only ones that could be born again. We're the only ones that can fellowship with God. It's human beings that you made in your likeness, God, and that was your purpose and your plan. God, you don't want us to be without God in this world. You don't want us to be having no hope in this world, Lord. You're the God of all hope, and Lord Jesus, that hope is found in you. It's found in and the eternal life is found in you, God. Our sins have separated us from you, God. But, Lord, you made a provision for that. God, I pray for any here this morning. You come even now. Any here that don't know you, God, that today would be the day. You said, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and will open up, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. We praise you and we thank you, Lord. All the altars are open. I encourage you to come and worship the Lord for a few minutes as he plays and sings.